This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today on the other end of the line is my co-host Curtis. And as expected, it was another easy victory for our Bulldogs on Saturday over the Murray State Racers, this time by a score of 63-17. to But again, as with the Vanderbilt game, uh, is it fair to say, Kurt, it was far from a perfect performance? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there was definitely things that we need to clean up, but I mean, I don't But overall, 63-17, right? Yeah, exactly. I think once we hit the second quarter and we got things humming, that they looked a lot better. I think we opened up the offense just enough in it. You could see the difference. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll we'll get into all the details here throughout this show. Um, but clearly, like, clearly, we all know, like as Kurt just said, like we outclassed Murray State. I mean, there, it wasn't perfect because, like with Vanderbilt, like we did some really good things, but there are still some things I think it's pretty clear that we need to clean up because um, the guys, the competition, man, it's going to get ramped up here in the coming weeks. Not so much this week. I will say Arkansas State, like they're a respectable Sun Belt program. They're not an FCS opponent, so I don't know if we're going to beat Arkansas State 63-17. Maybe we will. It'd be great. We, we definitely should have our way with them, but they are a little bit of a step up over what Murray State was. But Kurt, I want to start here with a thousand-foot view look at the big picture before we kind of move into more specific aspects of this game. So, Kurt, let me ask you this to open. Do you feel better, worse, or about the same about this 2019 Georgia football team after this 63-17 victory over Murray State? Um, I think I have to go with better because I think you saw more from the offense this time around, especially in the passing game, which has to at least make you feel somewhat better. Yeah, there were some issues in the passing game. It, it wasn't like Fromm was missing anybody in that first. I, we actually talked about it last week. We thought Jake Fromm played really well. Re- receivers, I thought Andrew the Bell pretty well in that first game. But there were some issues like, you know, letting plays develop, having time to get the ball down the field. The passing game just wasn't clicking on all cylinders. Uh, but I think we saw, we certainly saw that. I mean, Fromm was almost perfect. I mean, 10 of 11, I had almost a 96 QBR rate, so almost a perfect QBR rating. We'll talk a little bit more about the passing game here in a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel good. That was the one thing. I, when I left the game last Saturday in, in Nashville, I felt really good. It was a great opening win. You had a conference, a divisional win. That's great to open the season. But I did feel like, man, like I, we saw some good things in the passing game. Like, we saw what the passing game could be. Like We saw the potential there, but it wasn't clicking on all cylinders. I thought we saw that more so uh, on Saturday against Murray State. Uh, and look, I, I know sometimes it's... It, we're talking about Murray State here, so it's all relative when you're talking about an FCS opponent. So I know it's sometimes like it's tough to pick these things out when you out, just outclass an opponent and just kind of overwhelm them, as was the case on Saturday against the Racers. And, and to a lesser degree, also, we could go against Vanderbilt. But currently, what are some of the things that you have seen in these first two weeks that do need to be addressed and corrected if we're going to end up ultimately being the team that all of us want us to be when this season's all said and done? Uh, I think one thing is I think we still, especially with the loss of Isaiah Wilson for the time being, we're going to have to clean some stuff on the offensive line with blocking, especially pass blocking, because you saw some struggles at first. And then second off, I'm probably going to go with still cleaning up on pass defense. Uh, once again, communication as we're starting to work in new people. As you're seeing, you know, people like Tyreek McGee and stuff aren't playing like they used to. So we're still trying to work in on the people like Mark Webb, who 
it, like you saw, he can come in and lay the wood in physical, physical wise, but he still has to work on his coverage. And I think that's where um, probably defensively you need to work on coverage and probably tackling. Yeah, and look, it, and I know like those things kind of stand out because like when you're playing Murray State and they, and they hit a 60 yard touchdown pass on you, are kind of like, whoa, my God, that should never happen, and it shouldn't never happen. So it kind of stands out. You're like, wow, okay, that that happened. But like all in all, we still played really well. But there are some things that we need to clean up here. You mentioned Mark Webb. We'll get into that a little bit later on. We get some of the specific position by position looks. Uh, but Kurt, on the flip side, what has encouraged you the most? And there's been a lot of great things, right? What has encouraged you the most about this 2019 Georgia football team through the first two weeks? Um, I think I think the explosiveness really gets me offensively and defensively. I thought we did a good job of finally creating havoc this time around because they weren't getting rid of the ball as quickly as Vanderbilt was. So you saw our guys actually getting after it, creating pressure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we heard all offseason long about Kirby, Kirby Smart talking about the need to create havoc. And actually, I, I was so glad when he came out and said that before spring practice because, you know, before he came out and said that, that's not to say that I'm a genius or anything, because I'm not. But, I mean, we all saw it. I wasn't alone seeing this. We all saw that that was an area we had to improve. And you watch Clemson, you watch Alabama, you watch some of the elite teams that we're trying to, that we're competing with, that we're trying to get over the hump against. Like, the, one of the big differences between us and them over the past couple seasons is they create havoc on a more consistent basis. They get after the quarterback, they make life difficult for quarterbacks. And when you play teams that have elite quarterback play, that's how you beat them. You have to make those quarterbacks uncomfortable. If you give them all day to sit back there and pick you apart, they're going to have a field day. Uh, we did a better job against two of most of that game in the SEC title game, and we had that game... I don't want to say one, but we were in really good position to win that football game. Uh, then DeAndre Walker goes down, and the rest is history. We all know that. Uh, we saw what Clemson was able to do, ha- harassing two in that national title game. Like, so that was the thing for me. Is like we had to find a way to increase our havoc rate. And so when Kirby came out and talked about that, I was it, it, it was music to my ears, and he, he kind of kept that theme going throughout the entire offseason. We heard it ad nauseum. And I think you're right. I think through two weeks, we've seen the makings of a very disruptive front seven. Um, now, the competition has not been great. Um, I will say that. Vanderbilt, you know, they lost again on Saturday uh, at Purdue. Purdue's a, a good, solid Big Ten team. Uh, decent Big, team, Big Ten team. Because they did lose in Nevada. They blew that game in the opening week. Uh, so the competition hasn't been stellar. I think we all know that. We have to recognize that. But it's it's been at least a promising start. So I'm totally with you on that front. No doubt about it. But all right, let's shift gears a little bit here. Now, if you're looking at the big picture, let's kind of narrow our focus for the rest of the show and take it position by position. We're going to open up on the offensive side of the ball. And Kurt, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but let's uh, let's start with the quarterback play and dig into this a little bit more specifically. Now, the numbers were not necessarily there last week against Vanderbilt, but, but you and I, Kurt, we talked about it. Well, we, we thought Jake Fromm played very well in week one. But the thing is, and you mentioned this a few minutes ago, I thought he played even better this week going 10 of 11, uh, 15.1 yards per attempt, did have a touchdown, his first touchdown of the, of the season, uh, and a near-perfect QBR, like 95.5 QBR rating. So, Kerr, uh, a little bit more in detail here. What did you make? What did you think of Jake Fromm's play on Saturday? Um, I think he played exactly like we expect him to. He was very high percentage. I thought he threw the deep ball very well. Um, and I thought he just controlled the game. And not, not you know, just being a game manager, but honestly just, you know, being on strike with his throws and making great decisions. You know what I mean? You saw you, – he took what was there. He didn't try to do anything special. He just took what the defense was giving him. And that, that's what makes Jake Fromm so good. Yeah, that's what makes him so dangerous, absolutely. Because it's very tough to really get one over on him because 
Whatever you give him, he's going to identify what you're giving him, and then he's going to take advantage of that. Uh, you're right. That's what makes Jake Fromm Jake Fromm. Uh, you mentioned the deep ball accuracy. I think that's another uh, area where he has improved uh, from his freshman year. It's not that he was like an inaccurate necessarily. I wouldn't say call him an inaccurate deep ball passer early in his career, but I think that was an area where he could improve and kind of clean up a little bit. And so far, I know it's only two games, and we haven't had a ton of deep ball opportunities, but when he's taken those shots down the field, it's been on the money. Uh, we, we saw the deep ball uh, on that post there to D-Rob in, in week one against Vanderbilt. We saw the one to Pickens out there. Uh, so it, it, we've seen some improvement there. Now, we, it's been a small sample size. We want to see it continue and, and certainly obviously carry over against better competition. But look, I mean, look, I mean there's not much to be said about Jay Fromm on Saturday. The numbers say it all. I mean, he was, he was almost flawless. Uh, no one's ever flawless, but he was pretty darn close to it. Uh, on in this one game here against Murray State. But the thing was, Jake didn't play a ton. We actually took him out before halftime, uh, after the touchdown to Pickens, which put us up 35-7, which is a bit unusual. Were you surprised to see us take him out that early, at least I give him all the way to halftime? Um, no, because I don't think there was anything that he could do that he hadn't done already. I think the biggest thing was trying to get Seth and Bennett some experience in actual game time experience with maybe some starters and just things like that. Yeah, I, and I, that's why I have no issue with taking Jake out because, like, we all know what Jake Fromm means to this football team. We all are what, very well aware of that. So I'm okay with it. Um, you know, the, I would sure I would have loved to see him operate the two-minute drill, but we've seen him do that. Like, we know Jake – actually, Jake, Jake excels in that. Like, we don't need to see him. Just, there's no need the, – the the potential danger of that far outweighs any potential uh, gain you can make from having him go out there with the, with the two-minute drill because we've seen him in that in that setting. But it was backup Stetson Bennett that took it pretty much the rest of the way after going up 35-7. There was about three minutes left in the second quarter when he comes in. So, Kurt, let's talk about Stetson. Uh, we know what we have in Jake Fromm, but Stetson, he comes back at, comes back into the program, now is a scholarship player. He's got the backup spot right now pretty clearly as a number two quarterback. What did you make of Stetson Bennett's performance on Saturday against Murray State? Um, about what I expected. You know, he did a good job getting rid of the ball at times. Um, other times he was a little bit behind, but I mean, that's what you expect. I mean, the guy was not perfect when he uh, was especially at the Juco level, but I think especially you want to get him you know, acclimated as much as you can to the speed. Um, you know, sometimes in practice they're not going 100% things like that, so you can be a second late and still make the play, but the, especially not in game time situations. So I think it was a really good learning experience, but at the same time, I thought he did a good job of getting rid of the ball and things like that, because if you thought about it, he did pretty decent getting the ball into receiver's hands. He, he absolutely did. And he's also like a, a, a sneaky good athlete. Wouldn't you say he's like a sneaky good athlete out there? Oh, of course. I mean, sometimes, I mean, he made an ill-advised throw, especially I think it was one of his first series where he was rolling out to his left. And, could have been you know, picked. He threw it back across yeah, his body. But, but that's the kind of thing that comes with reps, right? This guy hasn't played a ton of football. Exactly, and that's what Kirby said. Kirby says he's done it all in practice, but it, this is the first time he's ever really done it with the UGA uniform on. And, and that's what you see. But you did see athletic ability. I mean, just like extending that play long enough to at least take that chance. Uh, he did a good job of getting out of the pocket. Yeah, the touchdown run as well where he scrambles. Um, yeah, I, I really like what I see from Stetson. But I mean, his numbers were good. 9 of 13, 124 yards passing, 9.5 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, did have the one interception. Kurt, what did you make? Like That one interception, what did you see there? Because that was a pick six. I mean, that, that that sucks, but what did you see there? Um, You know, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> he was just behind. He, uh, he was late on the throw. Exactly, and that, that was the biggest thing. You know, I think if, if you listen to the interview of him, he said he didn't get his feet set quick enough, and that and that was the big problem. And from what I could see uh, where I was sitting, it kind of confirmed. Um, I sat there in the end zone, so I got the end zone angle my, uh, with my seats. But then I kind of – so I saw what I saw there, but then I want to go back and confirm what I saw 
uh, on the tape, and it's exactly what I thought. They look like they were playing cover three there. The corner's just sitting there reading Stetson, uh, and Stetson gets over there late, gives the cornerback time to break on the ball, and then boom, pick six, rest is history. So, you know, it, again, that goes back to what we were saying a few minutes ago. When you have this guy who has, sure, he played a little bit at the Juco level, but the speed of the game is a, it's a different animal up here. Now, even when you're playing a team like, like Murray State, it, it's just being out there with the Georgia uniform, Running throughout, running our offense, it's just different. He hasn't done it before in that big environment, in that setting. So look, I, I'm not going to beat the guy up on that one play. Um, that's a that's a play that that young quarterbacks and experienced quarterbacks sometimes it makes. When, hopefully, Stetson, when you make a mistake like that, you will learn from that moving forward. But you know, I, I feel all in all, he played really well. He knew where to go with the football. He went through his progressions well. Like I said, he's a sneaky good athlete out there. Can can make some things happen and escape pressure. I, I really I really thought. He kind of represented himself well out there in his first real game action as a Georgia Bulldog. So, Kurt, now I asked you this question before the season, like before we had really gotten a chance to see Stetson in action. Now we've seen him, all right, for basically a full half of football. But now, if, and good God, I know, God forbid, knock on wood here a thousand times, God forbid, if Stetson had to come in against an SEC opponent, how confident are you in our ability to win with him at quarterback? in a real-life situation against an SEC-caliber opponent? You want the uh, my honest opinion? Honestly, I yes. Feel more, I feel more comfortable with him at our quarterback than I did last year with Justin Fields, as athletic and as special as he was. I feel more comfortable with Stetson Bennett right now coming in in that type of situation than I would Justin Fields last okay, year. Okay, explain yourself. You're, no, you, you're, you're taking some shots. That's not a shot, necessarily. I, I like your honest opinion, but you're going to have to explain yourself. You're going to have some people that are, gonna, that are uh, not going to take too kindly to that opinion. Well, I mean, everyone, there's no doubt about Justin Fields' athletic ability, but his biggest problem is in the passing game. Yeah, he could throw a nice ball, but it's his decision-making. I think the one thing that makes Stetson Bennett so good is he is a quick decision-maker. He's very similar to Fromm, and he gets the ball out of his hands. He's not one that's going to hold on to it and take a sack just waiting for the perfect, you know, that the, the, the big bomb, as you sometimes saw with Fields, especially last year. Uh, I think Stetson Bennett, I mean, it's not like he's not a good player. I mean, you got to remember these players, everyone in our starting defense loved this guy, hyped him up and talked about how good he was and how much he gave them fits as a scout team player year, two years ago. So it's not like this guy can't do it. And I, I think that's the thing. He gets rid of the ball. And when you get rid of the ball quick, you're at least getting the ball in the hands of playmakers who can take it to the house at any one time. And you're giving yourself, you're giving your team a chance to be successful. When you're taking sacks or just, you know, just tucking it and running it every time and things like that, you're not always giving your chance, a team your ch- a chance to be successful. Right. And I, I do think we need to get out of this mindset of Stetson Bennett's a walk-on player. I know that's how he started out, but... Kurt, you and I know how how seriously Kirby Smart takes recruiting, how he takes how seriously he takes roster management. I was gonna say, this, yeah, this guy's he's not the type that's gonna waste the roster spot. Right, I mean, Kirby just, Smart does not just give scholarships to anybody. No, it's not like Mark Rick where oh we got a couple scholarships left. This guy seems like a good player. I'll throw him a scholarship. No, Kirby says screw it. I'll, I'll keep it. And maybe I'll find someone else later. He's not gonna waste anything. Right, absolutely one hundred percent accurate there. And he, he said it when we when we signed Stetson. Look, I, I know what this guy is about. I've seen him in action. I know what this guy can do. And Kirby Smart just does not waste roster spots. He does not he waste scholarships. I think that's the biggest thing is the guy knows the offense and they trust him to run their offense. Yeah, and look, Stetson's not look, we all I mean he doesn't have the predictable size. I will say he has a pretty live arm. I, I like I, I hear people say some sometimes about like you know he's a walk on play, he's got no arm. I'm like actually Stetson's got a for a smaller dude, he's got a pretty live arm out there. Um, but I do want to go back to what you were saying with Justin Fields. Okay, I just want to I want to clarify this for anyone out there who might come after you because you know he's got some he's got some folks that love him uh, and still do in this fan base. But uh, 
you're 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 comparing Stetson right now, where he is right now, to where Justin Fields was as a true freshman last year, right? Not where Justin Fields is right now with Ohio State. Yeah, not to what he is right now, but to what he brought to our team last year, coming off the bench, being our backup, because that's what you have to compare him to is who was our backup last year. I agree with you. Justin Fields certainly brought a lot to the table uh, athletically. And we're actually doing some stuff offensively right now that I think would have really fit him very well. It kind of makes me wish that James Clay was offensive coordinator last year because uh, we're doing some different things. Almost like a veer-type look at times. where It's kind of it's basically a sweep. It's, it's hard for me to explain this without actually like diagramming, diagramming it for people visually, but that's when you're on a podcast. i got to try to explain it here. Uh, but basically, we ran a couple times this Vandy. We ran a couple times last week as well. But basically, we're reading the front side defensive end, uh, and if he's coming after the quarterback, we're hanging off like a sweep around the outside. We're The tackle's... He's not. He's not blocking that defensive end. He's leading out in front, going out in space. I Man, Andrew Thomas. It was. I think it was. My, is the. I don't can't remember if it was the first play against Vanderbilt the second half, but at least in that first drive when DeAndre swifted his big like 40, 38, 40 yard run last week, you saw Andrew Thomas running downfield. It was on that play. We have not had a quarterback keep that yet, but. I'm waiting for it to happen, uh, and I, I don't know if we want to because, you know, Jake's a very valuable player for us right now. You don't want him taking hits, and he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but if we had Justin Fields last year, that would have been an amazing play to run with him last year. He could have been really effective in that role, but you're totally right. As a passer, in terms of doing what we need the quarterback to do from a passing perspective, Justin Fields was not ready last year, and that's why he didn't see more playing time. It's, it's, that's just the facts of it. Now, and, and we always said that as soon as the light went, light bulb went on for him, we all know what kind of athletic ability this guy has, what kind of arm he has. He, he's a crazy good athlete and a very talented player overall. But he just wasn't ready last year. But if you look at Stetson right now, I'm totally with you, man. I think we're in a, we have a better backup quarterback situation. Not saying Stetson Bennett's the caliber player Justin Fields, but where Fields was last year is a true freshman, where Stetson is right now, I feel better about our backup situation this year than I did last year. I, I totally, I'm 100% agreeing with you. So, guys, if you're coming after Curtis, which is cool, you can disagree with us. You have to come after me too, because I'm totally with him 100% on that one. But uh, all right, let's stick with the offense here and talk about the running backs for a few minutes. Uh, look, we know what we have in DeAndre Swift. I don't want to spend too much time on him. He was great again in just over a quarter of action. Only six carries, 67 yards, two touchdowns. Brooklyn Longman, when he cut back against Pursuit at the line of scrimmage, we know what we have in that guy. And to a lesser degree, we know what we have in Brian Herring as well. He's been here for a while. I think he went over 1,000 yards for his career, which is a good a good milestone for him. Guy who's just kind of just grinded since he's been here and just been a great team player, great leader for us. But the guy I want to talk about first here, or really talk about in depth, is Zamir White. Uh, Big Zeus. Eight carries, 72 yards uh, on the day. First touchdown of his career. It's a, a beautiful thing to be there to see. Just... God, I'm rooting for this guy so hard. How do you think Zeus looks out there right now, Kurt? I think he's actually our best option when it comes to short yardage situations. 100% agree. Uh, yeah. And I, the reason I go with that is he runs with such better balance than who we've been using. I'm not going to name anyone because I'm not trying to trash the players. But I think in his situation, he has better footwork, better vision. And you saw it in that one touchdown short yardage situation. He has a his. The way he runs with his pad levels low and keeps his feet always moving, he was able to bounce off that guy and into the end zone. And that's what really impressed me. For someone who hasn't run in a long time, realistically, in game time situation, I think he runs very, very well. He's flat out just bigger and stronger. Than, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use the names. And I love the guy. He's bigger and stronger than Brian Harrion. Yeah, but, and the big thing was, you know, I think Harrion's a great player. But I like Harrion a lot. Struck, Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I really one do. thing that struck me out, or struck I noticed was there's one time in the game, Harry and got the ball. 
we're running, I think, a pistol formation. Yep. And he goes to the right and gets a few yards. But from where our vantage point, you could see the left side was completely open. You know, Swift, someone like Cook or someone is going to make that cut back and get more yardage. But Harry doesn't have that good. I, the one thing I noticed is his footwork. He doesn't have great lateral movement. His feet are always moving forward instead of side to side. And sometimes that's what hurts you, in, in, especially in close, um, you know, goal line situations and close close yardage because yeah. they're going to get pressure because they're going to nose dive you. And you can't just run straight into people. You have to be able to just delay it just a second. And I think that's the one, one place we've been lacking is we go straight forward. You hit the hole. That's good. But the hole's not always going to be there in a short yardage situation. So you're going to have to show patience. I agree with you on Harry. I think I do think his vision and his lateral ability has improved, but it's all relative to, from to where he was coming from, right? Uh, and I, if the hole is there, he's going to get yards because the guy hits the hole hard. He runs hard. There's no question about that. It's just sometimes when the cutback lanes are there, and that's the difference between a good back and a great back. Sure, a hundred percent. I think that's what separated. Uh, Elijah Holyfield from Brian Harrion last year was that Holyfield is not a burner, but he has he had great footwork and great lateral ability. That jump cut was nasty. He could see the hole and make the jump cut and hit that hole. Harrion hasn't really flashed that ability, at least not on any sort of consistent basis. Um, and I, I do think that was the separation with those two last years. Holyfield ran hard. Harrion runs hard, guys. I mean, you mentioned it, Kurt. Harrion runs really freaking hard, man. I love it. I love what he brings to the table, that that mentality, that, phys- that physicality. It's a beautiful thing to see. But you've got it to be, like you, like you said, to be a truly great back, you've got to be able to mix in the ability to make someone miss at times, the ability to, to, to see the hole and then move laterally to get into those holes when they're not straight ahead along with that power. So that's, I, I'm with you. I, I think Heron's a good back, and he, he brings value to this team. And I, I'm very glad he's on our team. I, and I love this guy for what he's done and kind of just working, working, working for years and staying with us and, and just being a part of this team and being a great leader. But I, I, I'm with you. I don't know if he'll ever be a, a great back, and, and I think it's, it's, it's because of the reasons you mentioned there. Um, but yeah, when it comes down to short yards, Brian runs hard. He does. I, it's not a question of that. It's a question more of just size and strength. Zamir's a bigger dude. You see how people bounce off Zamir White, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the thing that struck me the most on that that first touchdown. He bounces right off the guy. Yeah, they're bouncing off him. He's bouncing off, and he they're bouncing off him. He's bouncing off them. He keeps his legs moving. He runs with a low center of gravity for a bigger guy. He, he can put his shoulders down, run with a lower center of gravity. Um, and I, I'm I'm very encouraged by what I've seen from him coming off the two ACLs in back to back years. You never know. You just never know. Um, and I think the the crazy thing is, is I mean, he's not a hundred percent right. No, not at all. No, not, and that's crazy. I mean, he looks really good out there. I know he's only got 13 carries on the year, but in those 13 carries, he's looked really solid. And this guy, I mean, I don't want to put a number. I don't know what percentage he is. I'm not there working with him. I, I would just be throwing something against the wall. But I would venture to say he's not 100% right now. Let's just say that. So that, that's kind of scary to think about how good this guy can be. Um, now, I will say it's tough to tell when you're playing against an FCS opponent because you want to get a lot of guys some work. So it's tough to tell, like, okay, this guy got more carries this game. Does that mean he's going to be more of a part of the offense moving forward? Is it just because we're playing an overmatched opponent? It's tough to tell sometimes. But let me just at least ask you this. How big of a factor do you think Zeus will be as the season continues? I think he's going to continue to get more and more. I mean, the guy is still growing, and I think that's the why he's going to get more carries as the season continues. So he's just now starting out fresh, or, you know, starting out learning what to do and getting comfortable. So he's going to get more carries, I believe, that 100%. I, I agree with you. I mean, he's got five carries in that first game. I didn't get into – well, he, 
it was in the second half he got in, or was it in the first, late in the first half he got in against Vanderbilt? I think he may have got in in the late first half. Late first half against Vanderbilt? Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but it was later in the game. It wasn't, you know, the first couple offensive drives there. But, you know, eight, so five carries first game, eight carries second game, 72 yards. It's that first touchdown. Do you think there's a chance? I and mean, we both love Brian Harriam, but I think we both would agree that Zamir White has a higher uh, physical upside long term. Do you think there's a chance this season that he could eventually replace Brian Herrien as kind of that that true number two option behind DeAndre Swift? Potentially, and there's one thing we haven't mentioned that really makes him valuable: the way he pass blocks. Oh my God! That was that third quarter. I want to say. My yeah, I believe it's the third quarter where he instead of you know usually the running back will stay in there. They may block the guy, but they're going to get leveled. No, he went. Dude, he that attacked back. him. Like lifted him, off, lifted him off his feet. I mean, it was. I mean, the guy was and blitzing there. Linebacker, he did that too. Yeah, he lifted him off his feet. So Zeus means business. I mean, and that's you always hear coaches say that, and, you're, and you, a lot of times we think, oh well, okay, that's just coach speak, right? You if the guy can run, you can get in there. But no, guys, like if you can't block, you're gonna get somebody killed, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna stall a drive out. Uh, and so as a guy who's never really played, I mean, it's the second game he's played at the college level. I know he was with the team last year, wasn't playing. Um, to be able to do that this early on and attack it with that kind of ferocity. Oh, man. Um, yeah, and that doesn't surprise me. Is everything you hear about Zamir White, is this a guy that just goes out there? He's like a, a lunch pail kind of guy, right? That just goes yeah. to work, doesn't talk trash, doesn't do any of that. He just goes about his business, listens. Um, is, is one of those guys that's really easy to coach, really fun to coach. He's, he's very coachable, that kind of thing. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but just to see it, man, mm, that's nasty. So you really think there's a chance he could eventually take that job from Harry in this year? I'm not going to say no. I mean, I think that that pass blocking is what makes him the valuable. Is what's going to earn people playing time. Yeah, and he's the thing is, like you said, I don't think he's 100 percent right now. He's only going to get healthier and healthier as the year goes on. He's only get only going to get more confident with those knees as the year goes on. Um, and look, I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to happen. I'm not going to say make some sort of definitive statement right now because it's still really early in the year. And we've, again, we've only seen 13 carries out of him, and I like what I've seen from Brian. For, for the most part throughout this year. I think you're right in short yards. He, there's some things he can improve on there. But but Harry brings value to this team. Um, he really he absolutely does as a kind of a grinder just to grind out some yards there, keep us uh, uh, you know ahead of the chains. That's that's what we need. We need a guy like that, that kind of phys- that physical runner. But Zamir brings that too. That's the thing. He brings that too and maybe just be, and is a little bit better at it and has more physical upside. So um, if he kind of gets his feet under him continually as the season goes on, gets more confident in the knee, gets a little healthier, gets more carries, produces, I, I do think by the middle of the season there's a chance he could become, kind of become that, that true number two guy. I don't think Heron's ever going to fall the rotation this year. I'm not, I don't think that's going to happen. Kirby likes him too much. He does bring value to our team, like I said. But I do think Zeus could eventually become that second guy. We'll see. I, I, I say that hesitantly because it's still very early. We're talking about a very small sample size, but we I think we can all see the potential there, no doubt. All right, let's move out to the wide receivers and tight ends for a couple minutes here. Now, we didn't throw the ball a ton, but we did throw it effectively. We talked about the quarterbacks. The receivers are obviously a part of that as well. Uh, on the day, we ended up with, with all three quarterbacks, 20 of 25 for 292 yards passing, 11.7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, and one pick. Um, all the wide receivers played well. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't see anyone out there at the wide receiver position. I was like, man, he really didn't play well today. But we all know it was true freshman George Pickens who obviously flashed the most with a couple of highlight reel catches there in the second quarter. So, Carl, I'm just going to start off with this one. We're talking about Pickens. How quickly is this guy going to become our number one option wide receiver? 
very quickly. The more he gets in there, I mean, you can see the guy creates separation unlike anyone we have on our roster. Right so now. it happens this year. He will become our number one receiver this year at some point. Yeah, I can see it. Like, I mean, I'm not saying he's Julio Jones, but he reminds I me. Mean, Julio became the number one option once he started getting more comfortable in the system. I mean, the guy's already earning more snaps than any other freshman receiver ever has under Kirby Smart, in my opinion, because his willingness to block makes him valuable. And like I said, you know, sometimes when you block, you get yourself on the field. And when he's doing that, now he's giving himself a chance to make some plays and and getting, you know, just giving him himself a chance to make a play. And you saw him go out and try and make the most of those opportunities. Yeah, on Swift's long, uh, his longest run of the day, um, that was that was Pickens out there blocking for him. Uh, and Kirby made sure to point out his his and of course you know he's obviously going to be asked about George Pickens and how he played getting his first touchdown in his post game press conference, and he said he played great and he's talented, but then he was very quick to point out how he's bought into the blocking right. Uh, yeah. And I told you guys there was, a, there was a play last week against Vanderbilt where he just went at a dude like just was like trying to murder him, um, and it was it was beautiful man. Uh, look, we, this guy is insanely talented. I mean, we've all heard about it. We saw the. The uh, the catch in uh, during the what was it, the uh, first or second was it the first it was the first spring scrimmage or uh, fall scrimmage right yeah yeah it was the first fall scrimmage we all saw that play on social media made the rounds we all know we all know what this guy can do and if you watch this highlight tape in high school you saw what the guy could do as well but you just never know you just never know with freshmen I always say that wide receivers one of the positions where it's easier for a true freshman to come in and make an impact because there are things that you can do it, it's there are ways you can simplify the offense and get him in there just for certain situations and to run certain routes where he can still make an impact. So I'm not necessarily surprised by this, but man, when you see it out there in game action, I, again, I know it's Murray State, but dude, I don't care. Anyone who can make those plays, do what he was doing out there as a true freshman, this has this dude has stud written all over him. It's, to me, it's just a matter of, of, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? Yeah. In, in terms of him becoming the number one guy at receiver. Uh, just... Freakish ability, man. Go up to win 50-50 balls. Like, which one was the? There were three plays I thought that were that were really that really kind of stood out to me. The, the three of his four catches. He had the first one where he goes up and he doesn't quite. He catches it with two hands initially, but then he shows the strength in the hands, brings it down with one hand, right on the on the hitch, the comeback. Uh, then you got the diving, uh, on the diving catch on the nine route and that go route on the sideline, and you got the toe tapping where you get the two feet in, catches it out there with his fingertips. Which one of those catches was most impressive to you? Um, I'm honestly gonna go with the very first catch. I thought that one just showed the true strength. I mean, the the one the hand strength. Like, oh my god. Yeah, because I mean, the, the that was contested. Yeah, exactly. That's a contested one, and that's a freshman. And, that, and that's the thing. Most freshmen can make sometimes the special plays like the diving catch because, I mean, that's a spectacular play. But I think sometimes making the catch in traffic is the play that doesn't get talked about enough because sometimes that's the difference in a first down or you're punting. And it's, it's the strong hands like that that will allow you to go up and win 50-50 balls, and that's where we're going to need him to excel. Like Against Murray State, like you're going to get some separation, sure. But when you're playing against SEC opponents – you're not going to see that kind of separation. There's going to be more contested balls. So you're going to have to be able to go up there against good competition and win 50-50 balls. You're going to have to have the strong hands and attack the football, which is what George Pickens did there. And not just go out there and tag it, but then have the hands to bring it down like that. Uh, man, what a what an impressive play. And I know like you're like the diving catch, I mean, that's spectacular. The, the the getting two feet in on the touchdown and catching with your fingertips like that. I mean, all three of them are fantastic, but 
to me, what was maybe most promising was going up with a strong hands and taking that ball away, ripping that ball away on the comeback. Because I think as you get into SEC competition, you're going to have to see more and more of that with those kind of contested 50-50 balls. So just a, an outstanding game for the guy. And, I mean, it's just hard. It's it's really exciting to think that the best is still yet to come when it comes to George Pickens. Now, he did have the personal foul later in the game on his final catch. The guy kind of pushes him a little bit out of bounds. He throws the ball in his face. I uh, guess a personal foul there, the unsportsmanlike conduct. Does that concern you at all for a guy in George Pickens as a true freshman making some uh, maybe a dumb mistake there? Yeah, I mean, it concerns me, but as long as he's not doing it in the season, it's different because that's something that Kirby can change. I mean, you know, make him and run Kirby the got on him right away, obviously. Exactly. Like, he, you know, made Javon Williams run the stadiums in the scrimmage. I mean, that's something he can change real quickly. Yeah, and that comes down to, I, I don't want to say the D recruiting. I mean, look, when you throw a ball in the heat of the moment like that, that doesn't make you a bad dude. But sometimes these guys that come in with big expectations, they have to go through a D recruitment process, right? And this is all part of that. Um, so I'd rather it happen now than in an SEC contest where it's a tight game and then that 15 yards really hurts us. So uh, I'm glad they've got that out of the way. Hopefully that's a teachable moment there and he'll be fine moving forward. Uh, real quickly with the receivers before we move to the tight ends, Demetrius Robertson had another touchdown catch in the day. What are your expectations for D-Rob the rest of the way this season, Kurt? I only think I think he's going to only get better. I mean, the thing is, the guy can create separation unlike any other player probably on our roster. So with his speed, exactly. I yeah. think that's what's going to make him very dangerous. I and mean, I think the more he gets comfortable in running a system where you know back shoulder throws and things like that, the better he will be. Absolutely, uh, he's a different receiver than George Pickens. He's faster than Pickens. Pickens is for all he brings to the table. Is it fair to say he's not necessarily a burner? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that doesn't, and that's not to devalue George Pickens at all because you don't have to be a receiver. You can be, I mean, he's plenty fast enough. Uh, but D Rob certainly does bring more speed to the table, which Kirby's always very high on. Uh, but Pickens does have the size, or D Rob's a little smaller. Can he win those those contested balls? We'll see. Um, that, that remains to be seen throughout this year. Is there a scenario this year where it's D Rob and not George Pickens that uh, ends up being our kind of go to guy, that number one receiver throughout the year? Um, I mean, of course, because like I said, the, the way he can create separation can make people valuable because all of a sudden he's your home run threat. It's a matter of how you use D-Rob. Um, and that was my biggest issue with Jim Chaney. I mean, you guys know, I, 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 I was never a Jim Chaney hater. I thought he did a good job. He wasn't the best offensive coordinator. He's certainly not good enough to be the highest paid offensive coordinator in America. Uh, but look, he, was, he did a good job for us. But the one issue I had with him was personnel usage, how we actually used our talent. I don't think he, he deployed our guys in a way to kind of maximize all, – all, well, some of our guys. I don't think he uh, deployed some of our guys in a way that maximized what they brought to the table maximized their abilities. So uh, if we use D-Rob appropriately, which I'm still very I, – I, I, I'm very open to the idea that Coley is going to be a better offensive coordinator in terms of using those guys in the right way and, and kind of maximizing their abilities. If we use D-Rob appropriately, I think there is a scenario where he does become that go-to guy, that number one option throughout the year. He's just a different receiver than Pickens. He's not going to be the guy that's consistently going to go up on the outside and you're going to throw back shoulder fades and, and try, try to have him you know, uh, win those 50-50 balls at the top of the round. And he can do some of that, but that's not necessarily his game. So it's a matter, again, of using him the right way and kind of utilizing his skill set the way that it's best utilized. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I really think that George Pickens and D-Rob could be a nasty combo, don't you? Oh, yeah, 100%. They're very dangerous. And, you throw, and don't forget about Matt Landers. I'm still really high on Matt Landers. He started the game. 
Uh, I think he can do a lot of the same things that George Pickens does. He actually might be a little bit faster than Pickens. He's taller than Pickens, maybe a little bit faster. Uh, now, his hands uh, have always been the bugaboo when it comes to Matt Landers. But like that guy's a talented receiver and can do some really good things for us. Lawrence Cager, cannot forget about him and his experience. He's a guy that, that brings uh, a lot to the table as well in terms of his size, his physicality, his ability to go up and win those, those 50-50 balls with the back shoulder fades, all that kind of stuff. We have a number of options out there. But I think if you're looking at... Uh, three guys I would really watch out for. Pickens, obviously, D-Rob, and I'm still not giving up on Matt Landers. I think this guy can be a big-time player for us, uh, and I think he'll show that as the season goes on. But let's move over to the tight ends for a couple minutes. Now, our tight ends on Saturday caught a combined five balls for 95 yards, just short of 100 yards receiving for the tight ends combined. Four of those and 73 of those yards came from Eli Wolf, the grad transfer from Tennessee. Now, Curtis, again, it's hard to tell sometimes when you're playing overmatched opponents. But do you think this is a sign of things to come for this offense in terms of how we're using the tight end? Well, yeah, because it's not just that. It was against an inferior opponent, but it was the way we were using them. We, we weren't using him in those situations, the past situations as an inline blocker. He was more spread out, and I think that's what at least opens up and gives him a chance to be hit. I really am excited about what we can do with 12 personnel. And if you guys aren't familiar with, with what that means, 12 personnel, one is the, the first number there is the number of running backs. The second number is the number of tight ends. And you got five options out there, five eligible receivers. So you add up the one and the two, that gives you three. That means you have two receivers out there. Anyway, we use 12 personnel a lot on, uh, on uh, I guess, the, during the first week against Vanderbilt. We d- and I have, a, I have a sneaky suspicion that we have a ton that we're going to be able to do with that personnel package that we have not shown yet. Basically, for the most part, against Vanderbilt when we were in 12 personnel, we ran the ball a lot. But the reason that can be such an effective personnel grouping is because basically you're forcing, with the way that we can run the football, when we go 12 personnel, typically most defenses are going to respond with with bigger personnel defensively. They're going to respond with their base packages. Well, when we have tight ends like Eli Wolf, what he, what he showed the ability to do on Saturday against Murray State, and we already know what Charlie Warner can do in the passing game. We saw a little bit from Fitzpatrick as well. When we go to that 12 personnel, and, they, and the defense has to respond with bigger with bigger personnel, that is what creates mismatches. And I'm very excited, very curious to see what we're going to do with that personnel grouping moving forward once we get into the teeth of our schedule. We haven't used, we haven't gone very exotic with it yet, but we've shown glimpses of it. And I'm again, I'm very excited and very curious to see what that's going to look like moving forward. But uh, was this a, like with, with Eli Wolf, Curtis? Were you surprised? He looked really good in the passing game. Were you surprised to see him getting those looks in the passing game and not Charlie Warner? I was because when we took Wolf, I mean, what we were told is he was there to be an inline blocker. But but and, and that was the narrative, right? Because we just we needed yeah. some. Because that's what he did for Tennessee primarily last year. Uh, Dominic Wood Anderson was the guy they used in the passing game as their tight end last year. But if you go back and look at Wolf's uh, his his past his history, go back to his, his high school days, he was a receiver coming out of high school. And the reason it took him so long to get on the field at Tennessee, and the reason he just really didn't get on the field at all for them until last year, was because he couldn't add enough weight. He couldn't get big enough. We've heard that here with a couple guys going back to DeAndre Walker on the defensive side of the ball for years. But he finally bulked up enough, got big enough to where he could contribute as a blocker last year for Tennessee. That's what they kind of used him as. So that, I know that was the narrative for him coming in. But you know, if you go back and look at this guy's history, he was a guy that's actually played a lot of receiver in his life in his lifetime. 
So he has that skill set. You know, he's bulked up a little bit. So I personally wasn't all that surprised. I know that that was the the, the talking point coming in when he was going to be just an extra blocker, an extra body for us out there. But I think this guy brings more to the table. Then I think we certainly saw that against Murray State. I want to give a big shout out to my man Cliff, uh, one of our longtime listeners, very big supporter. We definitely always appreciate that, Cliff. Cliff's been all on Eli Wolf from the beginning. Talk about how he thought this guy could be someone to come in and help us in the passing game. Um, do you think this is something that's going to continue with Wolf getting those looks uh, ahead of Charlie Warner in some of those situations? I don't think it will continue. Uh, I mean, maybe, but I still think Charlie Warner's our number one guy. Yeah, Charlie's going to be the guy. Uh, and Charlie brings more versatility. I, actually, I think, like to me, Wolf is a better receiver than he is a blocker right now, which goes, which kind of flies in the face of what we were told coming in, right? Yeah, uh, but and we're kind of using him in those packages as well in those looks. So uh, again, it's, it's early season. We have a small sample size. It's gonna be very interesting to see what our offense looks like and how we use the personnel packages and these, all these different groupings uh, as we get into uh, the teeth of our schedule. When we have much better teams that we're gonna be playing. All right, let's go ahead and move on and talk about the offensive line here for a little bit. The offensive line had another good day, paving the way for 269 yards rushing. 6.7 yards of carry on the ground, but they did give up another sack in this one after allowing some quarterback hurries in week one against Vanderbilt. And there are some listeners out there who have voiced some concerns about that on social media. And Kurt, you talked about that at the outset of the show. So let me ask you, Curtis, how concerned are you right now? How concerned should we all be about pass protection with this offensive line? I'm not really going to be concerned until they continue to do it. I mean, no offensive line is going to be perfect, especially at the beginning of the season, because a lot of it has to do with communication, getting the camaraderie down. And, you know, um, and especially you saw it in some of the times, especially when you're working, you're rotating guys at right guard and also the right tackle position. So, I mean, it's going to take some time. And, you know, last the last two years we've had Lamont Gilliard at center, who was experienced in calling out the plays and the blocking schemes and things like that. So Trey Hill is still learning and still trying to get into that position. So, I mean, yeah, we have a very talented, talented and big, strong off the line, but it's not like they're all experienced. We're still trying to get guys in there, still trying to teach them and, le- and learn, on the f- not really on the fly, but trying to get some true game time experience other than outside of what they may have had at times last year. So I think that's the biggest thing is maybe in the middle of the season, if we're still having trouble, then it's going to happen. You know, it may be time to worry a little bit, but I'm not going to hit the worry button quite yet. Yeah, you mentioned Trey Hill. Trey Hill played a, a good bit for us late in the year last year after some injuries, but it wasn't really at center all that much at all. It was more at guard. So that's it's, it's, and learning center is a very tough. It's the, I would say the toughest position to learn on the offensive line. So there's going to be a learning curve there. There's no doubt. Lamont Gillier, I know some people had some issues with him at times. And the physical upside, he did not have the physical upside that Trey Hill has, but he was a veteran at that position. So there's going to be a learning curve. There's no doubt. But I think what I would say about some of the pass protection issues is like really – a lot of those issues are revolving around dealing with line stunts, right? Twists, all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm seeing. So to me, I'm not seeing any of our offensive linemen consistently get beat in pass pro, situa- like pass pro situations. I don't see that happening. There was one play against Vanderbilt where Andrew Thomas got beat on an inside move. But like most of the, when, there, when there has been pressure, it's not about our guys getting beaten by by opponents one-on-one like man up that's not happening what's happening is as you mentioned some communication issues with these line stunts now we have got to get that straightened out okay 100 percent. that cannot happen moving forward when we play the notre dames and the floridas and the auburns and the texas a&m's on our schedule when we play notre dame they've got some they got some pass rushers up front guys and of course they're watching what's happening around they're seeing some of the issues that we're having struggling with some of these line stunts some of the communication we're gonna have to get that cleaned up but here's the encouraging thing for me I'd much rather communication be the issue than talent, right? 
Yeah, hundred percent. Like you said, it's not like anyone's truly getting beat. And that and that's the thing. Like, it's much easier to fix a communication issue, which to me, that's the, that's really what's happening right now. When we and it's not like it's happening constantly. It's happened a couple of times. But when you're playing Vanderbilt and you're playing and you're playing Murray State and you have the expectations that we have for offensive line, it kind of just stands out, gets amplified a little bit. But for me, when you look at this and you say, "All right." If it's a communication issue, that's something that we can fix pretty quickly, right? That's something you can fix. That can be taken care of. Well, when it's a talent issue, those guys just don't get more talented overnight. That doesn't change. So I'm glad it's not like when you watch like Tennessee, when you watch uh, Miami's offensive line, those players are just getting beaten. Like it's not a communication thing. It's a talent thing. Those guys just aren't getting the job done. And what do you do? You move, you put a new lineman, they get beat too. Like you have, you have no answers. There's an answer to communication issues. We can fix that. Uh, and as you said, like there are some guys playing new positions. There's some guys that haven't played a ton of football. Trey Hill mentioned playing new position, haven't played a ton of football for us. It's it's natural to see some of these things early on in the year. So I, I'd rather go ahead and get this out of the way now. Hopefully we get it cleaned up very quickly because we are about to hit a, a stretch here. We're going to play better competition. So to me, I'm not all that worried about it. But uh, I do hear what people are saying. I would just say let's, let's, let's pump the brake there and not press the panic button yet. That's kind of where I am on that. But uh, Kurt, I also want to quickly ask you about Jamari Salyer getting the start on Saturday. There are a couple of options here that we could have gone with. The other the other big possibility with Isaiah Wilson being out at right tackle was to slide Cade Mays out to right tackle. He has played there before. He's kind of our utility man on the, on the offensive line. And then insert Ben Cleveland in at right guard, given how those two were rotating at that position. But what do you make of us going with the combination of Salyer and Mays at right tackle and right guard to start and not Cleveland and Mays? Uh, I really think it has to do with Salyer's athletic ability and Mays too. I think, in all honesty, as good as Ben Cleveland is, I think the other two guys are just more versatile or quick or a lot quicker. And strong, I mean, not as strong, but maybe more skilled when it comes down to straight football skills. Ben Cleveland can road grade anyone that's in front of him, but I think the rest of his game is where he kind of has trouble. Yeah, and look, I love Ben Cleveland. I think we all love Ben Cleveland. We know what he brings to the table. He's, he's a big physical dude that can just maul people. There's no doubt about that. But I think when you're looking at the offensive line, you always hear coaches say this, you want to go with your with your best five, right? Uh, and whatever combination that is. And Salyer and Mays, they, they give us some versatility there because both those guys can play inside a guard. They can also play outside. And it, very clearly, our coaches, Sam Pittman, just felt more confident with the starting five that include Jamari Salyer as opposed to being Cleveland. Now, I, I don't think there's a, a big gap there. I mean, we, we, we would be just fine with being Cleveland there at right guard and Mays out at right tackle. Ben played a lot in week two, just as he did in week one against Vanderbilt. And I think that's going to continue to be the case. There's going to be some rotation there. There's no doubt. Especially when you got as many talented guys as we have where there's not much of a drop-off from the first unit to the second unit. But um, I, I don't know. It was, it was very. I was curious to see who would come out there. I actually thought it would be Mays and Cleveland. That's honestly what I thought, but I was wrong. Were you surprised to see Salyer go out there with the number one offense? Maybe just because he hadn't been, he's been injured lately. Um, I think that's what had me the most surprised. If anything, I would have expected to see Mays at the right tackle position, or maybe Salyer at left guard or right guard. If I was to be honest. Yeah, I I would say I was like it wasn't a huge surprise. It was like oh my god, Jamari Salyer, but I think there was a little bit of surprise there because I did expect since since Salyer, like you said, did not play at all in week one because he's been dealing with an injury. I kind of expected to see Cade Mays and Mick Cleveland in there because those guys have more experience. But hopefully, hopefully, we'll see 
we'll get Isaiah Wilson back sooner rather than later. But uh, even with Wilson out, I thought Salyer played well. I thought Mays played well. Mays played all over the place. He played right guard, played right tackle, played left tackle, moving guys around. I thought Ben played well. And the offensive line as a whole, I thought, played really, really well. But um, all right, let's slide over to the defensive side of the ball the rest of the way. And I want to start with the outside linebackers and defensive line here. Again, I know it was Murray State. We keep saying that, but I want to reiterate it. I know we're just talking about Murray State. But we racked up some serious havoc numbers on Saturday. Curtis, you mentioned this at the outset of the show. We put up uh, six sacks, 11 tackles for loss, had a fumble return for a touchdown. Was this just a function of playing an FCS opponent, or is this indicative of what we can expect throughout this 2019 season? I think it's what you could expect because I think the things, the, the plays that are being made are by some of these young guys that are very, very skilled, but are just still trying to get the experience, such as like Nolan Smith, whose motor had was one and a half sacks, at- yeah. Yeah, and you saw Jermaine Johnson really starting to get comfortable getting after it. So I think that's the thing is the you it's the guys that have the skill to do it. They just didn't have the experience. And we had more of those guys on the field uh, at at one time. You know, against Vanderbilt, most of the time we had one of those guys on the field at that time because Vanderbilt. Look, like we said when we previewed Vanderbilt, they were a lot like us. They go a lot of the heavy personnel, heavy packages, jumbo packages, all that kind of stuff. So we have we respond defensively with heavier personnel. So. On any given down, most of the time outside of like third long situation against Vanderbilt, we only had one of those outside linebackers on the field. Well, Murray State likes to spread it out more, so we want to go with more athletic personnel. So we had Jermaine Johnson and Nolan Smith and Aziz Ojolari. We had a couple of those guys out there at the same time, Adam Anderson at times, not just on third down situations, but on early downs as well, the standard downs. So they were out there more. They played more. There's no doubt. But here's what I would say. Like, yeah, I know it was just Murray State, but we didn't do that against the FCS opponents we played the past couple years. For example, Austin P. last year, FCS opponent, we had zero sacks and three tackles for loss in that game. Uh, Middle Tennessee State, I know it's on an FCS opponent, but still, it's a lower-level uh, group of five team. Against them last year, we had no sacks, two tackles for loss. So we weren't doing this against teams last year, like this caliber of team. So I know, yeah, Murray State, but six sacks, 11 tackles for loss, that's nothing to scoff at, guys. We weren't doing that against anybody the past couple of years. So I am very, very encouraged by what we've seen. We saw it somewhat, uh, against Vanderbilt in week one. We got a couple of sacks, but there were a couple of other times where we forced bad throws. We forced early throws. We, we forced quarterback out of the pocket. We had the hurries there, but we got to the quarterback uh, in week two against Murray State. And uh, I'm, man, I am just so excited about what this defense can do. And I think the pass rush, these guys that we brought in are going to be a huge part of that. And really, it's just the number of guys. Like last year, you know, DeAndre Walker was a really good pass rusher for us, but he was like, but just about the only guy that could do it on a consistent basis for us. We shouldn't have that other guy, but now we've got so many of them out there, and we can do so many different things from a package standpoint, get very exotic with it. it it's really, truly, guys, the sky is the limit for this defense. Like, we could be a flat-out nasty defense. There's some things to clean up, for sure, especially from a coverage standpoint there at the star position. But we could be really, really good. But, you know, the, the outside linebackers, of course, can get a lot of the credit because they're the ones getting a lot of the sacks, putting up the numbers. But I thought our defensive line played really well again, uh, giving up only 23 rushing yards on 27 carries uh, a week after holding Vanderbilt to 116 yards rushing on 30 carries under four yards a carry uh, against an offense that featured one of the best running backs in the league in Keyshawn Vaughn. So, Curtis, how would you assess the defensive line play so far, Saturday and also in week one against Vanderbilt? Um, I think you have to be impressed. I mean, they're getting uh, the one day that's taken out to me the most is they're getting push. Yeah, absolutely. Th- that interior pass, which we talked about a little bit last week, is a big Big difference from what we've seen the past couple years. We haven't seen that consistently. We've had it at times the past couple years, but not as consistently as we've seen it through the first two weeks of this season. I know the competition's not there, but 
we hadn't seen it really against anybody, but we're seeing it right now. And if that continues, again, that's just another reason why this defense has a chance to be truly elite. And we got a couple guys. Tyler Clark's playing really well for us. He had a huge game on Saturday against Murray State. Uh, Devontae White didn't uh, didn't play, I don't, I don't want to say he played poorly, but he was a monster against Vanderbilt. You didn't see him make as much of an impact this week against Murray State, but he still played very well. I think we have a number of guys that can come in and make an impact for us. Trayvon Walker's another guy who can come in. He played a little bit more on standard downs this week than he did against Vanderbilt. He was more of like a, a third down specialist in our dime package against Vanderbilt, but uh, he played more. He's a guy that I think can be a big-time player for us up front. So I think if you look at the front seven in general, man, like we look a lot better. It's just a different group than what we've had the first couple of years under Kirby Smart. And I'm, last thing about the defensive line, Kirby, I'm going to ask you this. There's been a lot of conversation in the past couple of years about our defensive line has been one of our, our bugaboos. Like that's an area where we haven't been good enough. Like we haven't been elite at defensive line. Well, could that change this year? Could this potentially become an elite defensive line? I think there's like it, it depends on how you what the, what that word means to you elite. I I, actually, I, I totally agree. That I think that we could this is going to be the best defensive line group that we've had under Kirby Smart. I think there's a chance this group could be elite. I I've talked about in the past. So I I wish that we would let Tyler Tyler Clark one gap more. Devontae White, those kind of guys, they would excel as one gappers where they kind of just penetrate upfield and create havoc. Now there there are some issues with that sometimes. You get out of position and you can create natural running lanes for opponents that can take advantage of you. Sure, they can do all that. But those guys to me are not true two gappers. Um, they don't necessarily have the size to do that. And sometimes I think we've tried to make them do that kind of a square peg, square peg round hole scenario. And I think we've kind of pushed them into that role at times. It's not really necessarily how, what they do to excel. But I think we're unleashing them a little bit more this year than we have in the past. So I think this this unit has a chance to be maybe like a borderline elite defensive line. I don't know if I would go like, you know all the way to like an Auburn level defensive line, but I think we can be really, really good up front, no doubt. Uh, all right, let's move over to the inside linebackers. Uh, at inside linebacker, we had basically a four-man rotation. We got to see Nicobe Dean in action for the first time. We, we were rolling, uh, obviously, Tay Crowder, Monty Rice, Quay Walker, and Nicobe Dean in and out throughout that game. But, Kurt, who has stood out to you the most at inside linebacker thus far in this in this season? Quay Walker. What about Quay has impressed you? Uh, I think he's doing everything. We've seen him make plays in uh, coverage, and also I think he's getting better at reading reading plays from the linebacker position. So I think that he, you can see him getting more and more comfortable. I think the fact that he passed up Kendall is uh, very, very indicative of what they think of this guy. Yeah, and he's a guy that's just barely scratching their service. You guys know I was really high on him last year. You just had to figure out what to do. I talked about that last week, so I don't go too much into detail with that. But, yeah, Quay Walker is is a freak athletically, man. He, the versatility he brings to the table, his what he can do as a blitzer, as a pass rusher, we haven't really seen him unleashed in that regard yet, but I, I think we will at some point this year. I think he's going to make a major impact there. Um, but, man, this rotation, it's, it's it's to me, it's a beautiful thing to see. How much better are we with this rotation this year than we were last year with Tay Crowder, Natchez, Patrick, Dewan Taylor, and Monty Rice when he was healthy, rotating in and out? I think we're a million times better because we didn't have anyone that could do anything of what any of our guys could do realistically, uh, and it hurt us. I would say night and day. That's what I would say, right? Like It's just flat out yeah. night and day. And I know Crowder and, and Rice were part of the rotation last year. They were part of the rotation this year. But Tate Crowder is a better player than he was most of last year. He's, he was, he's still very new to the position. He's improved dramatically. Monty Rice was hurt last year a lot of the time. Uh, but I think he's gotten better now going into his junior season. So those two are better than what they were last year. And then you throw in N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker uh, in, in the place of Natres Patrick and Juwan Taylor. 
Night and day, man. Just night and day. The athleticism, the versatility, it's just absolutely night and day. We have a, like That was a liability for us last year, that position. This year, it has the chance to be a strength. There's no doubt there. Um, let me ask you this real quick before we move on to the secondary. How much longer can Tay Crowder hold on to that starting job? I think he's played well. I think Tay's a good player. But how much longer can he hold on to that starting job? I don't know. I think what helps him is his athletic ability. But realistically, Clay is almost just as athletic if you want to get down to it. So it's and so is Kobe and, Dean. Yeah, and the more they get comfortable, the less playing time that's going to be for him. I mean, we saw it last week against Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, he, he started the game, come out the second half, Quay Walker's along, playing there alongside Monty Rice. Tay got in there a little bit in the second half, but not near as much as he did in the first half against Vanderbilt. And I, I, as the season wears on, I can see him uh, playing less and less. Let's just say that. And like, I think Tay's a good player. I do. I think he's a good player. He does bring some athleticism to the table. Uh, he's been He's been around the block for a while. He knows the defense. And that's big for Kirby Smart. He wants to reward those guys who've been around and worked as hard as Tay Crowder has, and I think he's earned that. But the fact of the matter is, when you when you compare him physically in terms of his long term upside to guys like Quay Walker and Nicobe Dean, it's no contest. It's just not. So as, as those guys get more and more comfortable and more familiar with the defense, I think they're going to gain more playing time. I think Tay is going to be the one that loses playing time. I think Monty is a guy right now that. Is playing really well. I'm really impressed with what I've seen from Monty Rice. I've been hard on him at times throughout his career. Um, he's shown better speed. He's shown the ability to get out to the outside. Um, he's also, God, he's always been a beast between the tackles. I really like what I'm seeing from him. So I think he's a guy that's going to hold on to that job for the most part. Now, it's always going to be a rotation, but I think Crowder's the one. I don't, I don't want to say odd man out. He's still going to play, but I think his playing time is going to dwindle as the season goes on. And you mentioned it real quick here. Chain Tindall, we didn't mention his name in that rotation. What's up with him, man? Like He was a guy that came on. It was him, not Quay Walker, that came on late last year and started getting more and more involved in the defense. But he is not in the rotation right now. Nate McBride actually got in the game at inside linebacker before Chang Tindall did. What do you make of what's going on there? I honestly don't know. It, 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 it's tough. It's tough to answer. I mean, he, he's a guy. He had a sack in the game. Um, he's got he's an explosive linebacker. He's got good straight line speed. I don't think he moves as well laterally. I don't think I, one of the things honestly I think this might be holding him back is I don't think our, our coaches trust him in coverage as much. Uh, he's a guy that can go after the quarterback. As you get him running a straight line, he's got really good speed and he, he explodes into ball carriers. I mean he's a good player, but I don't know if he moves as well laterally, and I don't think they trust him as much in pass in pass coverage. Uh, that's why you see a guy like Nicobe Dean coming in in those in those dime situations because. Clearly, he's a great athlete out there. That position, a little undersized, but a great athlete, and we trust him in those situations. I think that might be the issue with Chain Tindall. He just maybe doesn't have the versatility that guys like N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker have. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the season's still young. Still a lot of football left to be played. There's always a competition each week in practice, so maybe he works his way into that rotation a little bit more. Uh, and finally, let's wrap it up by taking a look at the secondary as a whole. We gave up the one big play, the 60-yard touchdown pass on the slant to Daquan Green, former Florida player. That cannot happen. But that was really about it. So first, Kurt, let's talk about that play. What happened on that 60-yard touchdown pass? Honestly, he just got one step and the safeties were split. Yeah, well, it looked like we had uh, LeCount coming in. Uh, he was playing down the box a little bit. And uh, JR was playing over in the other hash. And it was very simply, it was in the slot there. And Mark Webb just got beat, right? Yeah, it's that simple. All that happened, really. Yeah, I mean, it, there's nothing more complicated than that. And like you said, he kind of Jr. was a little bit out of the play there. Uh, when you watch it on, when you watch the the tape back, he's kind of out of the frames. So it's hard to tell exactly what he's doing. Did he bite on something? But he's over on the far hash, and Webb got beat by a step. And uh, DeQuan Green's a good other. I mean, he's he was a 
a player at Florida at one point. So you know he's a talented player. He's got good speed. And he took the distance there. It looked like it's hard to tell. It looked like Webb might have had his eyes in the backfield. The eye discipline there didn't look perfect. And Webb is a really good physical player for us. That's really why he fits well as the star because he can help us in run support. We saw it on that forced fumble. Uh, he came in and just lit that dude up, forced a fumble that J.R. Reed picked up and ran back for a touchdown. But he does need to work on his coverage ability. Now, you have to understand, guys, remember, this is a guy that came in as a wide receiver. So he's still very new to this position. He's only been playing this position for a couple of years. So that's a work in progress for him. But he does need to clean that up. There's no doubt he's got the physical upside. It's there. He's just got to gotta work on that a little bit. We cannot allow that to happen. If that happens uh, against a team like Murray State, uh, it could get ugly against other, other teams. I mean, we saw, I don't, I don't know how many of you watched that Texas uh, LSU game. LSU has great DBs on the outside, a cornerback and also at safety. But Kari Vincent and their their star player, like their slot DB, he was getting eaten alive by Texas. And, and teams can exploit that. They absolutely can. So that's one area we've really got to clean up. Uh, hopefully Webb can, can clean that up himself. If not, we might have to start taking a look at Devon Wilson a little bit more in that role and see if he can, can uh, produce a little bit better in that coverage role. But um, I, I, I thought overall it was a really good, uh, really good day for our DBs as a whole. We're talking about safeties and cornerbacks. We saw Tyreek Stevenson get a lot of work in this game, Kurt, even in the first half before we started putting everyone in the game, kind of just emptying the depth chart. Uh, and we didn't see a ton, really, if any, of DJ Daniel. Didn't see a ton of him at all. Uh, and he was, it was just a little bit odd, thinking back at the Vanderbilt game. He was the first cornerback to work in off the bench against Vanderbilt. But, Kurt, how serious of a, of a contender do you think Tyreek Stevenson is to eventually take that cornerback job from Tyson Campbell? Like, how close is this competition in your mind? I think it is close, but I think the difference is I think Tyreek Stevenson is an absolute physical cornerback. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and that's what Kirby loves. Kirby, that's why Kirby loves to bump and run so much. He loves physical guys that are getting their face, jam them off the line, and and, that, and that's exactly the type of players Tyreek Stevenson is. And I think he's a more natural corner. When you watch him play out there, like we saw the issues that that Tyson had last year. And look, Tyson Campbell is, is a physical freak. Athletically, he's a freak. We know how fast this guy is. But we saw, like, he he was just lost out there at times last year. We talked about that a ton. The awareness just wasn't there. When you watch Stevenson play, doesn't he just look smoother, more natural out there playing the cornerback position? Uh, from As a freshman at this time compared to this time last year for Tyson Campbell, 100%. Like, I mean, let me ask you this. If Tyreek Stevenson comes in the same year as Tyson Campbell last year, they're both true freshmen coming the same year, who starts last year? Stevenson. Yeah, I would say I, I feel strongly that saying Stevenson would be that guy. Uh, now, doesn't mean that that Campbell can get better. I think Campbell has improved this year, but Stevenson again, is, he's physical. Uh, he's not quite as big, maybe not quite as fast, not quite as good of an athlete, but he moves well. Uh, sometimes it seems to me that Tyson Campbell is kind of awkward out there in his movements at cornerback. Uh, it's hard to explain. Just watching him, he just doesn't. It doesn't seem fluid and natural all the time. And Stevenson, it's a different story. Now he's not quite as he's not as fast as Campbell in a straight line, but he's plenty fast enough. He's plenty good of an athlete. And again, he just seems to me, and again, we haven't seen a ton of him, just a little bit. But even go back to his high school state, just seems more of a natural player out there at that position than Tyson Campbell. Uh, but I'm not done with Tyson Campbell. I think Campbell's a really good player. He certainly has improved and will continue to improve. Uh, so I think it'll be a battle all year, all year long. But I would not be shocked at some point if I saw Tyreek Stevens or maybe even DJ Daniel. Uh, it'll be to me, it'll be a week to week competition with all three of those guys. But it wouldn't be shocking to me at any point whether it was Stevenson or DJ Daniel that comes out one the, uh, one game with the with the with the first unit over Tyson Campbell. Wouldn't surprise me at all. But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. It was another great win for our Georgia Bulldogs. We appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to our show here and support us. 
If you enjoyed the show today and would like to have access to all of our content throughout this 2019 football season and beyond, we would greatly appreciate it if you would subscribe to our premium content on Podbean today. We've expanded the amount of content we are that we are bringing you guys this season and to get access to all of it, all you have to do is go to Podbean today. There's really two ways, two easy ways to get to it. You can go to podbean.com and search for Glory UGA, or you can just go to our Twitter profile page, which is at Glory underscore UGA. Click on the profile link there. It'll take you straight to our Podbean page. I would recommend doing that on a PC, on a computer. It's just an easier process that way. And if you're on a computer and you're on our Podbean page, all you got to do is look at the, the right side of the screen, look for the little yellow Buy Now button, and click on that, and then you just put in your information, and seriously, within one or maybe two minutes, depending on how quick you are on a computer, you are all set up. You're good to go. You don't have to create an account or anything like that. You don't have to take all that time. It does everything for you, and then you will immediately have access to all of the content that we produce throughout this 2019 football season. For all of our subscribers, you know we love you guys, and we will have our mailbag and picks of the week episodes up later this week and we're also working on i'm not sure we'll be able to get it done in time but we're working on another show taking a look at how we match up with the other early national title contenders out there we hope to have time to prep for that and record that show so check back later this week with a lot of great stuff for you guys but to everyone out there we really appreciate you taking time to listen to our show for curtis i'm tyler and as always go dogs <laughs>